We're going to jump right in here. Thank you guys for amazing worship. I'm always honored to come here. Just you guys are family, but it's just a there's not many places that there's the love of the Lord that's in in this place and uh, the worship is so important. A lot of churches missing out on the level of worship. A lot of people are used to just coming in and worshiping for 10 or 15 minutes. I know for most of my life, that's the kind of church I went to, and it's sort of like anything over an hour is a stretch. So when you come to a place like this, it's full of people that are really hungry for God, but it's so important. I like to talk about it once in a while because the worship is really where you guys start to break into a place where we feel that tangible presence of God and the Holy Spirit begins to break off the worldliness, the things that are holding us back, the fears. Because there's, I'm going to talk a little bit about intercession and some things that uh, I think the Lord's doing right now and some, through some visions that the Lord has given me. But there's uh, a fear, fear of man that gets on all of us sometimes, and there's a holding back. And it, it really inhibits, it's the quenching of the Spirit, it really inhibits what God is trying to do in your life. And even me, I'm pressing in. I have multiple encounters for, for, with God on a regular basis, but that still tries to get on me. So it, it, it's an ongoing thing where worship really breaks that off. And you get into a place where you get free from that and you don't even know, but you, you got to get out of the mind of what I'm thinking about, what's going on in my life. And so when you start to focus on Jesus in worship, and you cannot do that in 15 minutes, so that's why it's so important that when you get to a place where you're comfortable worshiping in a place for an hour, then hearing a sermon, then going into ministry, you're really taking part in what it's supposed to be. But that is so few and far between. That is not the norm. So it's a, it's a special place, and I'm just happy to be with you. So Father, I just thank you for everybody here tonight. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And I just ask that you speak clearly and boldly that these people would pray for me right now, that your word would go forth, that everything you want to reveal right now in your word would come through clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord is so amazing. You know, um, we, we boast in our weaknesses because it's through our weaknesses that his strength is made known. And there's a process when you go through Bible college and seminary and you actually take courses on how to prepare a sermon. And, it, and it's, it's a format and God works through that, but that's not me. There's a gifting that God has given me. And sometimes I'm like, Lord, you're going to kill me. I know that's the purpose, that he wants me dead. But it doesn't come to me until the last minute. So I'll have all my ideas every week, and I'm going in a direction. And there'll be certain things that just he'll imprint on my spirit, but I don't see the connection yet. And a lot of times it's not until the day before as I'm preparing, that the dots start to connect. And it's funny the way Scripture's like that, and God knows exactly what Scripture's to place with each other. So he has a message that he wants to give. He kept telling me first John, but some of the other Old Testament Scriptures, I, I, I didn't see the connection. And then today and, and last night, it was really connecting, and I was seeing exactly what he was going. So this message is really about abiding in the Lord in all things. And what is the Lord doing right now? Because I, I really know that he doesn't want us to miss what's happening in the world right now. We are not at a moment where we can go back to the way things used to be. There is a pivotal change that God is doing in the earth. And so I'm going to share this vision with you guys that I had. It was at the beginning of 2020. I went into a, a vision and I started to see Jesus like this in the middle of the world. 
and then I saw darkness forming, and the darkness started to encompass the entire earth and it, until I could not see Jesus anymore, and it was total darkness. This was before COVID and, and everything. And so I heard the Lord say, it's for the common good. And so at the time, you know, obviously I didn't know what that meant. And, and a lot of times when you see things in dreams and visions or God speaks to you, you won't always have the interpretation right away. It takes stewardship and prayer. So as time went on, and especially now, I could clearly see what he was saying. And so the Lord is really driving what's going on. And I, I hear a lot of people talking, you're on social media, you see people and they're really fed up, and they, it seems like darkness is winning, but it's not, because the Lord's hand is in the whole thing, and so he's doing something, and that's really what I want to talk about. What is the darkness for? And we're going to go into some scriptures with that, but when Corey was here, I don't know if everybody was there, but uh, a lot of you probably were, we had one day where we broke out into supernatural intercession, and I know that this is what the Lord is trying to birth in the church, and I'm just going to share my personal testimony to that. We were worshiping, the Spirit of the Lord came in, and intercession broke out. There was wailing, crying, deep, deep groans that only the Spirit can do. And this is a place that we really need to get to, that the church as a whole needs to get to, that is actually the purpose of the darkness. That when, when suffering comes, you see it all through the Bible, uh, it, 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 the, the early gospel message was birth out of persecution and suffering. And so after a while of laboring in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit, I felt this storm raging in my stomach, and I could feel heat, literal heat, coming from my belly. And I could feel this thing just wanting to burst out of me that, and, and the fear of man was coming upon me and, I, and, I, and I, I regret holding back because I've had moments like this when I'm home in my secret place and it's fine, I'm a mess, I'm on the floor, there's nobody there. But I knew my kids were there and, I, and, I, and they haven't seen me like that and I was pressing in and I could feel a storm raging, I could feel the emotions of God, I could feel heat, fire in my belly and I just wanted to blast it out but I was holding back because I didn't want my kids to see me just wailing, screaming, crying, and they'd be like, what's going on with my father? So it was only, only for that reason, not because there were other people there. It was really, I didn't want to freak my kids out. But I was still interceding. I was still getting to that place where you, we have to become indignant with the darkness. We have to become so holy and, and righteous in our oppression that we understand that we have the light in us and that God wants his church to rise up because just like the kingdom of darkness uses people to usher in darkness, God uses people to usher in light. So if the church is not doing that, the darkness is the only way to get people out of their sleep. And so people are like, I just can't wait for this to be over. I just, you know, when is God going to show up? And God's going to show up when the church starts to stand up and push back against the darkness. And their people are. And there's always a remnant doing that. And we're in a place like that. And that's why I love being here. But th this is what God is doing. So I want to go to uh, Isaiah 53. We'll start at. I'm going to jump around Isaiah a little bit. It's... Uh, Actually, this is 54, verse 16. It's real quick. It says, See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. See, 
I know I've heard a lot of people, and they're afraid to ever say that it is God that created the darkness. But if you read Colossians, it says, all things were created in him and are held together by him. Nothing that was made was not made that wasn't made by him. So why then? Because there's, there's this arrogance of man where when people are in darkness and they don't see, they say, well, I don't want to believe in a God that would create such an evil thing. But see, when, when you walk, if you look at the very next verse, let's go to 55, it says, come all you who are thirsty, this is Isaiah 55, come to the waters, God's calling people to come. If you're thirsty, if you've had enough of the darkness, come. He's calling us, come. All of the people out there, come. The doors are wide open. You know, I minister to people, I'm going to finish that verse, but I minister to people in recovery a lot and over the years, and there's a saying that says, well, they haven't hit rock bottom yet. And what that really means is they haven't experienced enough darkness for it to turn them around and push them to the light. And isn't it funny how some of us, we only need a little bit of darkness, and we're like, I don't want any of that. And then other people were like, what is wrong with them? Why, are, why don't they just come to the light? And yet there's just more darkness and more darkness. So we see that a lot of times without the darkness, without the fire, without the persecution, people are oblivious to God. And I know it's true in my own life. I would not have come to God if I didn't get to a place of despair. I am, I am utterly desperate for God. And that's where you have to be. The Bible says, Jeremiah, seek me with all your heart and then you will find me. So that's birth out of a place of despair. And without darkness, man, man doesn't find it, unfortunately. It's not that God wants that. God says, hey, come, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. If, uh, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread in your labor on what does not satisfy? He says, listen, listen, listen to me. Eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fear. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. See, the, the wages of sin are death. So darkness is there to wreak havoc on sin. So we have protection when we're in the light. And that's where we're going to, we're going to Psalm 91. Everybody knows that verse. But this is how you get to Psalm 91. See, people a lot of times quote Psalm 91, and we're going to read it, but it's easy to just say it because you're hoping in the protection, but it doesn't work like that. It, 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 Psalm 91 is birthed out of a place of despair because you want nothing to do with darkness, so you completely abide and dwell in Jesus. And see, it's in the abiding and dwelling where those protections come from, and this is God's heart. So when people are afraid, because you know I've heard stories or, or people preach about, well, Satan was good and God never created evil and it's because Satan sinned and then when he sinned, everything, but that's not what the word says because John says he was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, from the beginning. So he either was or he wasn't. It says he was from the beginning. So, so why did God do this? Because there has to be something to usher in sinful man into the light. But he says, if you come to the light, you have my protection. That's what Psalm 91 is about. And the whole heart is God constantly calling us. In Hosea, it says, uh, my people suffer for their lack of knowledge. And so as we begin to get understanding, we can come to God, but we don't get it when we're in the darkness. So those that are out there in the darkness, they don't see what we see. So somebody has to be the light to get them in the door. I can't tell you how many times I've invited people and they're ready to go, and then they back out. 
and then they back out. But that's okay. You have to just keep sowing the seed. They're not going to come in unless you bring them in. There's, there's something here for them. And so we come in and we love Jesus, but we got to bring people. And I, you know, just, I know one guy, just as a quick testimony, he's always posting on social media, inviting people, and he never gives up. Hey, I'll take you out to breakfast. I'll meet you for lunch. And they always say no. They always say no. And then one day, lo and behold, they say yes. So really, that's what the equipping is for. That's what coming here and being equipped is for, to go out there and bring people through the door so they can meet the Savior. They can meet the one that is the deliverer, that they can come into the light and come out of the darkness. God did, does not wish that any should perish, the Bible says. He says, now look at this. This is about intercession. This is just over in Isaiah 53. This is talking about the Lord. He says, uh, sorry, verse 11, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. Now, this is talking about Jesus, but we are imitators of Christ. So if this is the process for the Son of God, then it's the process for us. There is a time where we all experience suffering in our life, and it's a, mature, it's a maturing thing. Remember, here he says, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame. It's in the fires of life that we are purified. So there's this place where we, we struggle because we have sin or we have things that, that need to change, and those things are meant to drive, in our disparity, because we can't change them, they're meant to drive us to the Lord. That's my life. It's not that I know I've been made perfect because Hebrews tells me by the one sacrifice, he is forever made perfect those he is making holy. So you've been made perfect, but he wants to make you holy. So it's, it's recognizing that I, I, I have these tendencies, but I've already been made perfect. But as I want to change, like Gloria said, I still do things, but I don't want to do them. That's the, the, the changed heart. That's the best place to be. It's not a place to be uh, all down about. That's what the Lord wants. He's after the desire. He's already made you perfect. He already loved you when you were a rebel. And now that he's brought you in, it's about recognizing, not, not deceiving myself, recognizing when I do something wrong, I don't let my stumble turn me away. I, I, it says the righteous man falls seven times but continues to get up. So the fact that you continue to get up is signifying that you're righteous and you know it because you keep going in the right direction because you've already been made perfect. Other people, they fall and they, they have the wrong spirit, the wrong identity, and they allow that to run from God. And then you can't get them back to church because they're in shame because they don't understand what Jesus did because they think it's about them. It's not about them. It's about what he did. And so this is a message that we have to constantly, I have to remind myself, because no matter what you're called to do, you're always going to feel unworthy. That's the point. When you put on righteousness for real, it should make you uncomfortable, because it's the uncomfortableness of knowing that I don't deserve it that makes me fall in love with him. That's where my love for him was birthed when I got the revelation that I didn't deserve it, but that he wanted me to have it. And out of love, love will allow you to do things that you can't do not in love. Like, you know, when people fall in love, they start doing crazy stuff, and you're like, look at this one. He's running down here, going there. But why? Because they're all of a sudden, they're, they're in love, and they're doing silly stuff. 
Because love makes you do things that you normally can't do, right? You will go the extra mile uh, for your kids. You do things that you would never think you could do. It's birthed out of love. So, so this whole thing is about falling in love with the Lord, but you only get that through a revelation. So I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because there's stuff in John that's going to lead us to that direction. Let's read uh, Psalm 91 because this is really what we want all of this to lead us to. It's familiar, but let's just take it word for word through. He says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler snare. All right, so that's the darkness. That's the destroyer that, that uh, Isaiah is talking about, right? So we know there's darkness. We know there's an enemy. But Psalm 91 is telling you it's not for us. It's not for you who abide in the secret place. He says, verse 3, Surely you will save me from the foul snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. You see, there's a lot of people right now living in fear because they're not abiding in the Lord. And that's what the darkness is for. Because this whole thing called life is about knowing God. It says, this is eternal life, that you may know him. Gnosko, it means to intimately know somebody like a husband and a wife. It is not knowing of, it's knowing, it's feeling, it's having an experience with. It's being intimate with the way lovers are intimate. And so this is the kind of relationship that God is calling people to. And so many people have a surface level understanding. They know about God, they're saved, but they are not ushered into this place of really intimately knowing God, which is where you get into Psalm 91's protection. And so people will say things like, well, yeah, so-and-so is a Christian, but look, this happened. And now all of a sudden you're letting life experience rise above what the word of God says, but you don't even know that person. Yeah, you, you, we, I'll just give you a, a testimony because I'm growing in this. This isn't something you just arrive at and you have Psalm 91 protection because it's total, utter, despair, you know, like, God, I need you in all things. And, and you don't just wake up one day and have that. You may think you do, but the world has such, the system of the world has such a grip because we've, we've been raised in it that we don't even know some of the things that we need to break off of. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. They never got sick, and their clothes never wore out. They were totally dependent on God, and he provided. And see, so a lot of times we're like, yeah, I trust God, but I'm going to just use the system for a little bit because I'm comfortable with that. And that's okay. God allows grace because of our shortcomings, but he wants us to be utterly dependent upon him. And so I've been telling my wife, I'm just, I want to grow in this divine, this divine relationship with God where he supplies everything, my health, everything. But, it, but it, it, you have to be fearless. You have to be, go against the norm. You can't do what everyone else is doing. You look like a quack. So you have to remove the fear of man, and you can only do that with the Spirit of God because without encounter with God, that stuff will own you because we can't do it in our own strength. And so... I said to her, I, I was feeling really lethargic, and I battled Lyme disease for years, and the Lord was healing me slowly. It wasn't a quick fix. You know, sometimes the Lord does that, and sometimes the Lord takes you another route. Yeah. 
And, and so he's healing me, and I'm strategically getting better and better each year to where it's hardly even there now. But, praise God, exactly. But I felt something coming on me. I had such fatigue, and it felt like that. And I said to my wife, you know, I feel like I'm getting Lyme symptoms. I'm really tired. And she just said, because we've been talking about listening to the Holy Spirit and going to him for every need. And she just said, I just heard adrenal glands. And I go, oh, good. I said, now hang up the phone and go ask him what I should take for it. So she calls me back in five minutes. She said, I don't know, I heard papaya. And I go, okay, great. So I picked up my phone, I look up, and lo and behold, I look up papaya and what it's for, and it, all adrenal stuff came up. So I said, all right, go to vitamin shop on your way home and get me some papaya. I went to the supermarket and I bought a bunch of papayas and they were really expensive. And I was like, geez, uh, God, can we just do the Holy Spirit instead of the papaya? This is gonna hurt my wife. But the truth is, it, it worked. I started feeling better. So th this is everyday living being utterly dependent upon God. And that doesn't happen overnight. That, that happens by every day being in the secret place and talking to the Holy Spirit, learning how to hear his voice. This is what Psalm 91 is talking about. It's not talking about, oh my God, uh, so-and-so sick and I'm in trouble. Let me bust out Psalm 91 and start reciting it and hope that's okay, but it's not going to get you into the faith where you live it. Because it's something that has to become what you live, not something you run to because you're in trouble. That's stage one. Because all of us come into this because we were in trouble or, or needed something at some point. That's what the darkness is for. But then we get to a mature place where we're not just coming because we're in trouble. Now we're growing in the Lord to become like the Lord because we're supposed to be like him. Yeah. And that's what John talks about. So let's just finish Psalm 91. He says, uh, you will not fear the terror night, nor the, uh, the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. You see it right there? That's what the darkness is for. It's for the wicked because the wages of sin is death. Everything's told for us in here. We have the directions. We have the manual. God hasn't left anybody out. So it's not God doing something evil. That's like saying, I have choices, and when I step out of the circle into the darkness, why would God do that? No, no, it's there for my protection. When, when I do uh, disciplining my children, it's not because I hate them or I want to hurt them. It's because I know if they step outside of where they're supposed to, they could get hurt. So when God gives us commands, this is so good because... He's, he's, his commands, religion says it's a list of do's and don'ts, and that's what people hear. What God's commands are, this is who I am, and you are my son or my daughter, and, and now that you're in the family, you need to take on that identity. So, so I'm light, and it says there's no darkness in him. So if he's light and there's no darkness in him, that means his ways are in the light, and that's to protect us. So when we step outside of that, we're in trouble. And we need a savior, and we need refuge, and we need a, a, a strong tower. This is what people don't understand that are in darkness. They don't think they need a savior. So how much darkness do they need before they need a savior? Because the Bible says we all need a savior, right? So he says, if you say, verse 9, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, dwelling, it's such a, what does that mean? Like dwelling, I'm... I'm dwelling with the Lord in everything I do. I have this little sticker that I wrote out, 
and I keep it in front of me, and it says, he's my friend. If he can't come, then I don't want to go. Do you ever get invited somewhere, and one friend doesn't like the other friend, and they're like, oh, I don't really want to bring them, and then you're like, well, if they can't come, I don't want to go. Well, that's how I feel about Jesus. If there's something that I can't do without taking him off first, I don't want to do it. So I just live my life like that. If Jesus can't come, I'm walking through life with Jesus. That's what dwelling is. And if he can't come, I don't want to do it. Because if he can't come, that means the darkness is there. And I've had my fair share of darkness, and I want nothing to do with it. I want the light. So I don't look at it as do's and don'ts, because in the light is where I've gotten all the riches of God, where I've gotten his glory. I've, I've encountered the, the, the things that the Bible talks about, so now my eyes have been opened. So now it's incumbent upon me, it's a command on me, it's a commission to me to go and tell others. Because then you start getting into Ezekiel where he calls people to be watchmen, and he says, if you don't warn the people when you see the sword coming, then I'm going to hold you accountable. So, you know, I've been warning people about some of the stuff that we see going on, and, you know, some people listen and some people don't. But, but it, it's my obligation to tell them. And that's all you have to do. The only obligation is to live truth, to live light, not to be weird, not to beat people over the Bible, just to be honest with them about what God has done in your life. And nobody thinks that's weird. People are dying for it. People are looking for an authentic testimony of who God is without this burden that's placed on them that they know they can't do anyways. And see, that's why most people reject religion is because before you come into the light, there's certain things that you don't even desire because your heart hasn't been changed yet. So how can somebody that doesn't have a changed heart want to desire to live righteously when they can't even see themselves ever living like that? So they need something else. They need a testimony when they're in the darkness for you to come along and tell them about what God's done for you. It's just a seed. We don't have to give somebody the whole meal all at once. We have to be patient because the Lord is long-suffering. He's, he's more patient than any of us. Let's go to John. We, we'll, we'll come back. Uh, you guys know Psalm 91, but I, I feel like we get the gist of it. I want to just go through John because, to be honest with you, I know the Lord said it, and there's a lot in, in there. First John, sorry. We'll just start at the beginning and go, because honestly, that's how I like to do. Uh, I lost my, uh, here we go. All right. I like going line by line, word by word, because it just, it's Holy Spirit, and half the time I don't even know what he's going to say, and it's just exciting. That's what gets me excited for the word, because it's by way of revelation. It's not by way of intellectual knowledge. So it, we have to approach reading scripture like this, like, God, I want to know you. I want to know what's in here. What lays under the, the lines that reveals who you are to me? I, I don't want to just read the book to tell people I read First John or I read the Bible cover to cover. That's great. Everybody should do it at least once. But if you get no revelation out of it, it's completely useless. 
So he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So the word is life. The word is Jesus. We know in the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the, Jesus is literally the word that we digest every day, and it says it's the word of life. So when he says, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come, eat and live. He's talking about eating upon the bread of life, the word of life, which is the word. So it, it's actually impossible to, to grow and be nourished in your spirit without consistently digesting the word because that's the bread, that's the food that we, we eat. It's the word of life. So he says, the, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So what they have seen and heard, they now go about proclaiming. Well, that's the model. What you have seen and heard, whatever it is God has done in your life, whatever is exciting that you've experienced, you do not have to be a theological teacher, a, a, a pastor, or anything like that to minister to other people. All you have to do is genuinely be honest, love God, and share that with somebody else. And, and this, I'm telling you, this is what God is after. People crying out for revival, but every single one of you is a revival waiting to happen to the people in your sphere of influence. Before I ever step foot here, Everybody in my life was going to hear about Jesus at some point if they were around me long enough because I, that's my life. My whole life is wrapped up in him. So you can't get around me without at some point Jesus being talked about. And see, that's what we do. He said, as you go, preach the kingdom of God has come near to you. So as you go about your way, preach what Jesus has done in your life in little ways, just sharing with people. And people are in despair right now, whether they're showing it or not, whether they're hiding behind the mask, there are people that are ready to break. They're ready to snap because there's an op oppressive spirit in the atmospheres and it changes from town to town. I can feel it when I go to this place or that place and I'm like, whoa, this place is really oppressed. So we're the ones that have to change that. And God does have times and seasons where he's gonna do something and he is and I'm excited about it, but he also wants us to take what we have and meet him. So he says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, see? So that those that are lost may also come into the fold. Remember, uh, oh, I didn't even get to uh, Isaiah 53, but it was talking about Jesus' suffering. We didn't finish that one. It goes on to say that Jesus went to intercede for the transgressors. See, and that's the heart of God. If Jesus is God and he did that, that after he suffered, he went into intercession. And that's how I started with this thing at Corey's that came on me, that where it was like a storm raging, where I could feel the emotions of God, that I could feel Jesus's intercession. It was overwhelming. It was a raging storm. That's who our God is. He is a raging storm for the lost. So what I'm saying is something, we, we've got to get that. We've got to get that fire, and you won't, fear will hold you back. Fear will hold you back. But it's, the, it's coming, being encouraged, being around other people that are on fire. Fire spreads. When, when, when fire is around other fire, it, it's a big fire, okay? And that's what we need. We need a big fire and just let that thing roll. Like she said, momentum. Because we, as we're encouraged... Jesus is going to come out of us, the Lion of Judah. Every single one of us has that lion in us, but it has to be aroused because 
it, it, the fear will just hold it back. So, so we're pressing in for that because this is the time in the, in the world, in the history of life, where God's doing something big and you're seeing it happening and, and we cannot just do what we've always done. You don't just close down all the churches and muzzle God's people and not see that there is a war on. And so that lion needs to be aroused in the people of God. He says, And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So we know that the darkness is nothing to do with God. So why do we want to have anything to do with it? The Bible says, what fellowship does darkness have with light? It doesn't. So if that's the case, then I can't mingle with darkness. And sometimes I don't think we... I, I know I talk to people and, and, and you know, we can easy, very easily make allowances for things. And it's not, a, it's not a, a place of condemnation, but what I'm saying is the more we make allowance for the world... That fire, it's like it quenches the fire. Because I've experienced that in my life where I had seasons where I was alone and I was like all God all the time, all day at work. And then I had seasons where I had workers with me. I had a business and they would work with me. So I had to talk to people throughout the day. It was a different experience because if you're going this way, it's hard to go this way. So we have to learn how if we're going this way all day long, we have to make time to go this way. And when we're this way, we have to make sure we do not let the darkness in us. Yeah, it can be there, but I don't, you know, I don't want it. I don't want it in my ear gate. I don't want it in my eye gate because I want my fire raging. I want my relationship to be on fire with God. So this is why we have to be utterly indignant with darkness. It doesn't belong. It doesn't belong because we, he says he is light and there is no darkness in him. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So you don't have to worry about your stumblings. You don't have to worry about your falls because it says that through that one sacrifice, you've been made perfect, but he's continually making holy if you walk in the light. See, I want to just talk about, because we're going to go right into this. A stumble is not a turning away from the Lord. When somebody stumbles, it's a mistake, but it, it's not necessarily, now I'm going away from the Lord. If you're still with the Lord and you're immediately like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, Lord. I'm still looking at his face. I'm still reckon, I'm still in relationship. I'm not going a week or a month and then, oh, I got to go back to the Lord and tell him what I did. No, no, no. It's like an every day we're talking anyways. Like he's right there anyways. It's not like, so that's what we want to get to, to live life like that. That's how he created us. It says, Adam walked in the cool of the day with God, right? So that's God wants to walk with us every day. So things are going to come in and compete for your attention, but you have to be the steward of what you allow in. He says, if we claim, this is what I want to get to, because this is like a, a cancer sometimes, and maybe some of you have heard it taught like this, and we'll just address it. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, all. See, people take that one verse, and I've heard it taught like this many times in many places until the Lord started to reveal this to me, and it changed my life when I got this revelation. 
you take that one line out and people use it at church and they'll say, we're all sinners just saved by grace and everybody's like, oh, but we're all sinners. That's, it's a true statement. But you can't go on living like that because you're giving yourself a place to allow to not change because you're like, oh, I'm always going to be like this. Nobody's perfect. And so people go, well, the Bible says, what are you perfect? The Bible says, if you claim to be without sin, you just deceive yourselves. But you have to read the context of what it's saying. Because he just said in the very next line, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us all of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if he's purified us from all unrighteousness and by the one sacrifice he's made you perfect, then you can't go on saying, well, I'm still a sinner because you're either a sinner or a saint. But you can be a saint and make a stumble. That's why he's going to address it. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So he's, he's, he's telling you what he really means by it. And if you look at the, the Greek word in that first sentence, it actually means never. So it reads like, if you claim to have never sinned, if like you're saying, what, you're in the darkness, you're saying, what, what savior? Why do I need a savior? I'm a good person. What do I need the blood for? That's what he's really saying here because then he addresses it and he says, uh, if we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have to come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are, we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. That's heavy. So if he's saying we must live as Jesus lived, he can't be saying in, in, in verse 8, well, you're always going to sin and you're not going to change until Jesus comes, which a lot of people believe that, and that's preached a lot of places. But what that does is, it allows us to get comfortable with sin because we believe God's going to do it when we get there one day and we're just believing to get to heaven. But when we put on righteousness and take off the old, that's where the uncomfortableness comes because the second I really started to confess I am the righteousness of God, I knew there's things I need to change. So, so if I'm going to get up every day and put on the new, then I'm going to be so abundantly aware of everything that is not the new. I always say it like this. If you've ever worn a white short shirt out to dinner, I know the ladies will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm like the worst. If I'm eating like something, I'm like, oh, it's definitely going on my shirt. I don't even know why I wear white. But you're, you're so utterly aware of every spoonful because you have a white shirt on. You know you're going to drop it and mess the shirt up. That's what it's like when every day you are abundantly aware of the righteousness that Jesus purchased for you. Sin is a stain on it. And so you're like, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. So when you do mess it up, you know right away. But see, when you, when you like, oh, we're all just sinners saved by grace, and one day I'm going to change, you can just keep living how you've been living, and it's no big deal. Yeah. That's why he wants us to put on righteousness, because it was never about what you did. It was always about what he did. And see, when, when that revelation hits your heart, that's where love is birthed. That's where the love for God is birthed out of that changes lives, because you go, but but God, I, I just did this. I just said this about that person. I just got so angry at my kids, or so on and so forth. 
And, and, and all while that's happening, you're wearing the righteousness of God, and it should just bring you into a puddle of tears because you know you didn't deserve it. You know it was about love. And, and then when I started to get this revelation, I started to hear certain songs, and everything changed. You know, there was a song that used to wreck me, and it was like, uh, it, it, was your, it was my sin that held you there. But then after I hear it, I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was your love that held you there because you could have got off at any time. So, so there's a switching, right? There's, so there's people that don't see this still. And it's a revelation because the other way makes you feel like crap. And I'd be crying and I'd be like, oh, you totally, look what they did to him because of my sin. And that's all true. But the greater truth is that he, he didn't have to do it. So it was about love. It wasn't about that your sin went up to heaven, dragged him out, and nailed him to the cross, and he couldn't get off, and woe is me. No, no, no. It was, oh my God, you came because you loved us, and you, and you did it all because of that. And I didn't even ask for it. I didn't deserve it. That's, that's why revelation changes lives, because you could just read or you can just listen. You know, there's, someone put it perfectly like this. When you're doing construction, you make a two by four. If you mess up on one and then you just sometimes, we'll take the one we cut and we just keep making copies. But if you're off even a little bit and you keep using the copy, by the end of the time, you're way off. And see, we've been doing that in the church where people teach things and we just copy what we hear. And by the time we get way down here, we're way off from Revelation. That's why it has to be through the Holy Spirit because there's the, the, the whole thing is about love and there's this place of religion that has just captivated people and there's a, there's a breaking free. You know, it says where the, uh, the letter of law brings, brings death, but the Spirit brings life. So when the Spirit is present and revelation is present, there's a, a freedom that takes place and you're not captive anymore. And so when you have that, you get excited about sharing because you actually have something to offer people. You're not just getting, trying to convince people to believe what you believe so you feel better about what you believe. You actually know what you believe. You actually know freedom. You actually have experienced God's love, and you want other people to have it. So you're really, you want to drag them to church. And then you actually have a place that you know that the Holy Spirit is, that when they come in, there's going to be deliverance. They're going to meet the king. They're going to get to have an experience for themselves. So, so if that's the case, then we should be fired up about the gospel in, in bringing people to this place to get saved. And wherever it is, you know, we're just ministering to people because this is what we have to do. And I know this is what God is doing in the earth. He's arousing the church. It has to be because he said it's for the common good. So do you know all through 2020, I was thinking to myself, you know, how could this be for the common good? This is really stinky. You know, I don't really like this. You know, I hear my wife, she's like, I'm so done with this. Like, when are we going to do, when's he coming? I'm like, I don't know, Lord. I'm like, Lord, will you, so when are we going to just recognize that we have to get a fire lit under our butt and that he hears the prayer, that he's faithful to hear us, that he is the deliverer. And this is another thing I say, you know, the whole mass thing, Everybody's like, you know, I, I live in Boston. It's way, way different than here. People have masks on everywhere outside. There's, there's this oppressive spirit. And, and there's this movement of people that are starting to take the masks off to, to change things. And, you know, for the life of me, I'm like, oh, I want to just, you know, I want to do that. And I'm like, but there has to be things that the secular world does. But God's people 
The Israelites did not pick up spears when they were in bondage to Egypt and overtake the Egyptians. The Bible says that God heard their cry and groans, and he answered them. And you know that, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's really interesting because God works like this, but this past November was the 400th year since the pilgrims landed in America. There are no coincidences. So God is looking for the groans of his church to rise up so that he would hear it and the deliverer would come because he wants us to recognize that there are problems in the world that we can't fix with our hands, that we can't fix with our mouth, that only he can fix because he's the deliverer. And so that's where intercession is burned. When I take the things that I'm frustrated with in life that are going on every day and I want to see a change, I take that frustration into the secret place and I get into a place of intercession where there's deep groanings, too deep for words, where that only the spirit can relay it. And this is what God is looking for. Wow. Uh, there's so much more I want to go, but we should... We're, <laughs> we're, I know, I, like, I could just go through the whole book of John. It's just amazing. But really understanding, let's just do, we'll do uh, maybe one more paragraph and we'll transition into ministry. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. So there was, when he says later on in the, in the book, this also changed my life. He's been changing my life every day because that's what he does. It's just transformation. You go from glory to glory. It never ends, just so you know. He says, if you don't love your brother and sister, then you don't know him. And I would be like, oh, God, I know I don't love everybody. I'm just going to be honest. I, and and I, I would say this to him. Because we have a relationship, but I want to love everyone, God. Now, now I love everyone, but this was a few years ago, and I was going, God, help me. I want to have your heart. I want to do that. So what he started to do is he started to reveal things, traumas that were in my heart that I didn't even know was there. And so what he started to show me was, you can't love like I love because you're still holding on to hurt, hurts that I didn't even know was there. And so I've talked about this before, but it's really important because a lot of times without relationship, there's things we're holding on to that we don't know that's there. And so when you come to verses like this and he says, but if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete. Let's just read that again. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete. See, so in order to fully have the complete love of God, we have to obey the commands, but we can't do that when we're carrying trauma and hurts. That's why inner healing through relationship with the Lord, it's a process that we're all going through, but it, it requires total honesty with yourself. And it's not, you know, this isn't something I did with other people. It's, I, you can do it with other people and it's very helpful, but, but you can just do it with the Lord where because you talk to him and you know how to hear the Holy Spirit, he will tell you what's going on in there, but you have to ask the right questions because the truth is you actually know you've just suppressed it and stuffed it away because God would bring things up and I was like, oh, I'm not upset about that, God. And then all of a sudden, as I began to deal with it, there was like a rock in my throat and I couldn't even speak and I start crying and I'm like, what is going on? Because I, am, I was hurt. People did hurt me. 
And that's okay to say. You have to say, you have to be honest because if you're not honest, he can't fix it, but he wants to fix it. But it's, it, so this is how the love of God is made complete when we are fully able to obey his commands and we can't obey his commands unless we are led by the Holy Spirit, unless God heals our heart totally. So that's a process that we're all in. And, and just having the revelation of it is freedom because now I have an avenue to pursue with the Lord where he can begin to take me through that. But you've already been made perfect. That's what being made holy looks like. But the weight is off because you're already perfect. He already looks at you perfect because you've put on righteousness. And now you're wearing this righteousness and all you gotta do is talk to your father about what's happened in life so he can reveal to you that he's been there the whole time. That when you thought you were all alone, you weren't. And so what the, the enemy will sow a lie into your heart to create a bitter root that takes up root in your, in your heart system and then you're not whole, which is what holy means. So if you have a crack or a root anywhere from trauma or hurt, God's trying to make that heart made whole again, but there's a break in it that he has to repair. But if we're not honest with ourselves, how can he do that? So this is where when, when we put on righteousness, all that other stuff starts to surface, and it's so apparent. This is what James said. James said, uh, when someone looks in the mirror with the word of God, who, who hears the word but doesn't do it, and they look in the mirror, and then they don't do it, it's like someone who saw their appearance went away and forgot who they were. Because you can't read the word and believe this is your identity and then continue to behave the way you've always behaved. Because you'll see it, you'll see it. You're wearing righteousness and you know him, and then all of a sudden it comes out and you go, oh, that's, that's not who I am. So it, see, when people have that other revelation, we're like, well, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Nobody's perfect, brother. What they're saying is, I can relate because I'm not totally transformed. I haven't been made whole, so I can relate to your mistake. And hey, come on, we'll, we'll make each other feel better. But that's not transformation. God didn't pay for you to stay that way. God wants you to be totally free from the things that have taken you captive. So only when you truly accept the gift completely of righteousness and you put it on, will these things start to manifest in your life. And then you're going to feel like you're getting your butt kicked because all of a sudden, like she said, there's things that I'm doing that I don't want to do. Exactly. That's when you've arrived because you're not in denial anymore. You're not living like the rest of the world who walks in darkness and make excuse for everything that they do and say, well, I'm a good person. But yeah, compared to other people, maybe, but not compared to Jesus. And so when you start to look at the way you were created and you wear his righteousness, you'll see very quickly that you're not perfect. And see, a lot of people, they think that it's the big stuff, murder, rape. Oh, I'm just going to say this because this, I'm telling you, this, this one thing, we're, we're going to go into ministry. I truly believe this one thing keeps people from understanding the real love of God. It's because when they look in the mirror, they don't really believe that God would be just in sending them to hell. People, people right now are preaching that there is no hell. And, and it, it's, 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 a, it's prevalent out there. Everybody's going to heaven. That is not what the word says. And anybody who puts on righteousness will know right away, God, you are just in your ways. Because I see his holiness and his righteousness, and I see my flaws, and I know that I'm not like that, but I want to be like that. And that's all he ever wanted. He wanted your desire to be like him. He wanted your yes. And once he had it, that's good enough for him. He'll put you in his hand and he'll never let you out. So you don't have to worry. But we cannot pretend anymore that sin has any place in the life of a believer. 
So we have to be radical with it because that's where freedom, transformation, the love of God is made complete. And so there's a lot of people out there that confess that they have accepted Jesus as their Savior, but they don't truly believe in their heart that God would be just in sending them to hell. And so they will never know what Jesus really did for them because a lot of people are like, well, they still think that, well, I'm trying to be a good person and then God's going to weigh the balance and see that I did more good, I tried to be a good person, then I'm going to go to heaven. That's just not what Scripture says. So, so somebody has to get real honest with people because his way is actually way better. It's way better. It's way freer. There's no weight. He's done it all. He's taken the, the punishment. And it's like, why would you not want that? It's so amazing. And he's going to supernaturally provide for you. But there's no instant gratification in the kingdom. It's like, there's a process of going through, just like Jesus in Isaiah 53, where it said, after he suffered, he experienced everything else, the life. And it says that he was given all of the kingdom. So the process is the same for us, because as ugly as his crucifixion was, I'm telling you, it's as ugly in your life when you are being crucified. It's, it looks ugly sometimes. It doesn't have to be pretty. Sometimes when I'm dying to self, I look like, you know, ah, what's wrong with me? You know, because I'm dealing with all my stuff. And so this is really what the gospel is about. It's great to love Jesus, but this says right here that those that love him will obey his commands. So I I think it was Norval Hayes said, oh, you, you love Jesus, wonderful. He's only the most lovable person in the world. If you can't love Jesus, you're in big trouble. So, like, we all love Jesus, but he, he's after transformation. So we can love Jesus all I want, but if there's no transformation in my life, the Bible says we don't love him. We think we do, but love moves you to change. Amen. And so that's what he's after. And, 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 like, this is why he came, because he came to restore that which was lost. So when we start to bring people in, they start to experience the freedom. So we're going to move into ministry, and there's so many people here with gifting, and we're, we're going to just pray. I just, we're going to take some time to get back into the flow of the Spirit, because as we talked about in the beginning, about how important worship is, what we just went through is the revelation part, the eating of the bread. Then you get to the part where God wants to meet your need. God wants to meet you where you're at for, for whatever is in need in your life, for breakthrough, for healing, whatever it is. And see, it's not about a person, and I'm going to share another vision with you guys as, you, as, as she's setting up and playing, because as faith builds in the room, that's what it's about. God meets hunger, and he meets faith. So, so it doesn't matter who's up here. It's the Holy Spirit, and it's faith and hunger, and God just is attracted to it. So that's what we do in worship, and as we move into ministry, we have to get hungry. Don't worry about me, just focus on Jesus, and focus on what it is that you need. I don't care how long it takes, you just get hungry in your heart for an encounter for God, whatever it is you need. And so this vision I had, as you begin to just quiet your hearts and focus on the Lord, just, just, just envision Jesus. This was one of the first encounters I had when I started to break into the seeing realm. I had an encounter with God, and this was one of the first visions I had. And it's really what he wants to do 
in his church for the future, and it, it, it involves every single one of you. So I started to see two cliffs in a giant pit, and all of a sudden there were hordes of people going across, and they were going... into the pit and there were so many of them it was like a conveyor belt God is looking for people that would share in the sufferings of Christ and I would ask God for that and I didn't realize that he, he does he, he will share on your heart what he feels and it, it's overwhelming at times and he's looking for people that would actually care about the things that he cares about and so when he showed me that, I seen that there were people just going into this pit, into this pit. It just would not stop. It was like a conveyor belt of people. And then all of a sudden, I saw a bunch of stick people come out, and they started to wrap their arms, arm in arm, and they made a bridge over the pit. But that wasn't it. Because then there was another layer of stick people, and another layer of stick people, and another layer of stick people, and they started pulling the people out of the pit, and they would lift them up to the next level, and the next level, and the next level. And the Holy Spirit started to re reveal to me that this is how my church works, that unless there's unity, unless the church works together, that's how it was destined and built to work, as one body, arm in arm, pulling people out of the fire. And the different levels were the different generations. You know, the fathers of the faith, people that have more experience. And so that first layer would pass them up, and then they'd pass them up to the next layer. And it was the church in all its different generations pulling people up out of the fire. And so God doesn't want you making this place your destination. He wants to make this place the place where you get equipped and you come to an encounter with who you really are in him. And so that's what impartation is for. And we're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray for everybody that wants individual prayer. And I just encourage you, as we do that, if you want to pray in the Spirit, and just in Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to come upon your people. And we just worship and praise you, God. We just ask you to come into this room, Lord, with your tangible presence, Lord. Begin to touch hungry hearts. Begin to heal broken wounds. Begin to put boldness in the people that want to share in your sufferings, God. That they would cry out to you right now and ask for what they need. That you would meet their need as they come up and receive prayer. And Lord, we just pray for open impartation on everybody here. For dreams, visions. It's what Joel 2 talked about. It's what Peter talked about in Acts 2. It says your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams. It says in the last days. He said that what Joel talked about is what you see right now. These people aren't drunk as you suppose. He said, but that what Joel talked about is being poured out. The Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is what they were receiving. But Peter says, that's what Joel talked about, but it's going to be poured out on all flesh in the last days. And that's now, that's you if you want it. 
Every time I come here, I come for an encounter. Every time I come into the presence of Jesus, I'm looking for him to touch me, to change something in me, to break something off of me. And it's an ongoing process. I can never get enough of it. He says, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come freely. You don't need money. It doesn't cost you anything. All you need is desire. All you need to do is break off the fear of man and come up here and stand before the Lord and cry out to him and ask him to meet you where you're at for whatever it is that you need, and he's going to meet your need. So I would just encourage any of you that if you feel the urge to come up here, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, you want to share in the sufferings of Christ, you want to be equipped to go out there and have an effect on the world, to come up here and worship the Lord with me and ask for more. God has more for anybody that's willing. He's looking for the hungry. He's looking for the bold. He's looking for lions that have the Lion of Judah in them that want it to come out. So, Father, I just thank you right now for all these people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.